Welcome to Invested in Climate. Protecting the planet and decarbonizing the global economy is the challenge of our time. We all have a role to play, and the opportunity we face is unprecedented. Invested in Climate aims to help people do more to address climate change through their work, investments, lifestyle, and activism. I'm your host, Jason Rissman. I support a growing community of top climate and ESG leaders as the Chief Experience Officer at Nations Wealth, and I'm an advisor to the climate practice at IDEO. I'm also an investor and startup advisor, and when it comes to climate action, I know I'll be a lifelong learner always looking to have more impact. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us. Sign up for updates and suggest ideas for future episodes at investedinclimate.com. Follow us on social, subscribe, and spread the word. Thanks for joining. The difference that we saw in terms of data accuracy is 900% more accurate if you actually collect data from your suppliers rather than trying to estimate. So if companies are really going on the estimation path, that's totally fine for them to take the first step. But especially if they are buying carbon credits, they are probably paying 900% more than they should. So these are definitely important insights that we are helping our customers to visualize. Hi, everyone. We often hear about public commitments to reach net zero, but not the nuance, choices, costs, and complexity big companies face when working to decarbonize their global operations. Behind the scenes, any company that's making climate commitments has teams of people focused on decarbonization strategy carbon accounting, and reporting to figure out how to wean their companies off of fossil fuels and emission-heavy practices in the most effective and cost-effective ways. It's a laborious task that requires a ton of data and analysis. This is where Sinai Technologies comes in, a startup focused on helping companies understand and analyze their decarbonization choices. Today, we're joined by Maria Fujihara, founder and CEO of Sinai, and Lauren Densham, who leads ESG and impact initiatives at Energize, one of Sinai's recent investors. We talk about Sinai's concept of decarbonization intelligence, why their technology is needed, its impressive growth, its plans for the future, and what all this means for any company working to decarbonize. I learned a lot in this one and imagine you will too. Enjoy. Maria and Lauren, welcome to Invested in Climate. So great to have you both here today. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Fantastic. Where are you both dialing in from? I'm in San Francisco. And I am based in Chicago, which I understand is your hometown as well. It is my hometown. And especially this time of year in the summer, I love to get back there, miss it dearly. And I'm sure you are enjoying the ecstatic energy of sunshine after a long winter. Indeed. Indeed. Great. Let's get started just with some quick introductions. Lauren, will you kick us off and just share for a minute or two about your current role and how you got into climate work? I lead Impact and ESG at Energize, which was founded in 2017 here in Chicago. We are focused on investing in climate software. So we have around $1.2 billion invested across our venture capital and growth equity strategies. Our focus on climate software really means that we invest in asset light solutions that we think will help accelerate the clean energy and sustainability transition through their solutions. So 
that's accelerating the scaling of technologies like wind, solar, and corporate decarbonization more broadly. So my role at Energize is to help our portfolio companies to measure the impact that they have on climate and on the energy transition, but also to work hands-on with them on their ESG strategies, helping them kind of scale responsibly from an early stage. I also kind of lead our ESG integration within Energize, which means I get to use some of our portfolio companies as a customer, including Sinai for our carbon footprint. And prior to joining Energize, I was at KPMG for 13 years. And in that time, work with a number of large corporates to develop ESG and sustainability strategies. So it's been really fun kind of translating that to startups and VC and bringing those perspectives to Sinai, where I serve as a board observer. Fantastic. I love the integration of climate work and ESG more broadly. Maria, let's turn to you. would love to hear about your, your founding story. You are the founder of Sinai Technologies. We'll have plenty of time to get into what the company is. First, just tell us a bit about your background. Happy to. So I am originally from Brazil, but I've been living in the U.S. for almost eight years now. My previous life, I used to work for the Brazil Green Building Council. I actually came from the sustainable construction industry. I've graduated in architecture school, but never designed a building my entire life. I've always been very interested in understanding what's the impact that humanity has on the planet. That's how I started my journey very early. It was my first job and I've never did anything differently. So I worked for the Brazil Green Building Council for almost 10 years really adapting the certification for green buildings called LEED. Maybe you've heard of this before, adapting and promoting that certification for Brazil and five other countries in Latin America. And this is where I got my first connection to emissions and understanding impact broadly. Great. Maria, I noticed in your background that you're also a graduate of Singularity University, really a program focused on learning about exponential technologies. Yeah. Was that program influential in your path and how so? Absolutely. Yeah. The story is that I left the organization. I came to the U.S. to take a break and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And I saw this singularity program. I participated in the last cohort of the Global Solutions Program, which was an intensive program inside NASA headquarters in Mountain View. And I moved there for three months. And then after, and the program was about how to use exponential technologies to solve climate change. So it was a very incredible mix of people from climate and from tech. And the idea was to actually start companies after the program. And so they were also teaching about entrepreneurship and how to create moonshot ideas. And they have this future thinking kind of mindset I was simply blown away. I had no clue what was anything that they were talking about besides the climate part. And I was just very inspired. And I started a different company after the program called Urban Intelligence that was about how to help governments and cities to reduce emissions that didn't work out. And then and then I started Sinai right after that. Amazing. Very cool to see. Mission accomplished. Their goal was for you to start a company and you started too. Let's dive in now to learn more about your company. What is Sinai Technologies and what's the problem that you're aiming to solve? Sinai is a decarbonization intelligence platform. We help carbon intensive emissions, which means the biggest polluters in the world, to not only account for their emissions or understand basically where they are today in terms of impact, 
but also to model potential different scenarios for them to be in the future and understand what are the most cost-effective pathways that they can take to actually reduce emissions and achieve their emissions reduction targets. Okay. So in learning about your company, I came across a term that I'd never seen before, decarbonization intelligence. What is decarbonization intelligence and why is it needed? Good question. Well, we created this term. The idea, of course, we didn't create the words, but we like to think that we put them together. <laughs> you put them together. <laughs> Fair enough. So decarbonization intelligence really empowers global companies with advanced technology to identify the most effective investments for reducing emissions and moving beyond temporary offsets. So it basically gives leaders a strategy and a roadmap for the most cost-effective reduction plans. So it's really the connection between technology, so the intelligence piece, with reductions, which is the decarbonization piece. So tell us more, why is this important? What's happening if companies don't take this sort of approach? It's super important because we all have agreed that we need to change the way that we behave and the way that we do business. And of course, companies continue to think that we have to continue to grow and achieve a bunch of things, financially speaking. But I think it's important for them to understand that we can achieve that financial growth and that whatever financial targets that they have, at the same time that they can also achieve environmental targets and they can also transition in a way that is going to allow these companies to continue to grow economically speaking. What we actually help them to do is to transition in the most cost-effective way because these companies don't want to be here just for the next 10 or 50 years. They probably want to be here for the next 100 years. And if we want to be in this planet in the long term, we need to find ways to do businesses and to live in community that it's in sync with the planet and offsets alone or removals alone are not going to do the work. So actually reducing emissions and actually transition to low carbon technologies is the only way for us to get there is basically 90% of the work. So we need to move away from fossil fuels and we need to find alternatives. And these companies are going to have to do this gradually. Nobody's going to do this tomorrow or the next year, even though there are some companies that are achieving targets earlier than they predicted, but there is a path to get there. So we basically help them to lay out these steps so they can understand next year, what are the investments that they can make, then the year after that, how they can keep track of all of this, how they continue to grow and continue to achieve those emissions reductions targets and those environmental targets in essence. So it's really bringing sustainability and climate to the core of these businesses and allowing them to become the best businesses in the world that everybody wants to be part of and everybody wants to buy from. Thanks, Maria. Lauren, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. You've worked on ESG strategies for many years, and you know the ups and downs of carbon accounting. And also, to Maria's point, this sort of transition isn't always cost-effective. So I'm curious, is the strategy of decarbonization intelligence new? And how would you characterize the problem that it's solving? The term is new that Maria coined, but the work is not new necessarily. It just has always been done by experts and spreadsheets. 
There's a number of platforms out there that can do carbon accounting, but true decarbonization intelligence and decarbonization strategy building has typically been something that's done specifically within carbon intensive industries across a number of different facilities, across a number of different plants, across a number of different individuals who are working in spreadsheets to try to track and understand what the options are for how they can work to decarbonize their operations relevant to their circumstances and relevant to their business model. Obviously, that's not a scalable plan. It's not repeatable. It's not auditable. Not everybody has the climate expertise to do the calculations to understand how complex some of these things can be. So I think what's new and the problem that Sinai is really solving is taking this challenge that has been addressed through disjointed spreadsheets and climate experts and building it into a platform that teams can use across their operations globally to get a really detailed picture of their carbon footprint and then actually use that to drive a robust decarbonization strategy beyond just offsets or the easy things like, let's switch out your LED light bulbs, you know, really cut to the core of business models. This idea of kind of streamlining and workflows and making them more efficient is something that we've seen a number of our portfolio companies succeed in doing in this space. Thanks, Lauren. Maria, help us understand what makes Sinai different. There are other technology platforms focused on carbon data and analytics and reporting. What is it that's making your platform unique? To Lauren's point, it's nothing new. We have been doing carbon accounting for over 20 years. And mostly in the past, it has been done being done by consultants in spreadsheets. We automated that first step. We definitely help customers to do that first step, which is basically understanding where they are. But to your point, a lot of competitors do that as well. There are many copycats on that regard. And I think that's fine. I think it shows how important and relevant this market is becoming and how fast it's growing because now it actually has a software solution and sustainability teams inside corporations can actually do this in a much more effective way. But our biggest competitive advantage is that we take customers to the next stage of their journey. So beyond the accounting piece, we help them to understand what happens after that, how they find solutions to replace those existing sources of emissions, how they change diesel consumption, how they change electricity consumption, how they actually allocate and where they should be allocating budget, how much is it going to cost for the company to do those transitions or to invest in those technologies, how much they're going to be able to abate and reduce in terms of emissions if they implement this in one facility or in multiple facilities globally or in throughout many years. So our system really helped them to unpack those important questions, helps them to get the data that is needed to make those decisions and really educate the entire company because ultimately it's not one single team effort. Collaboration is the new normal, we like to say. So they're going to have to bring in other stakeholders to be able to achieve any of that. Let's go deeper into the data. My understanding is that your platform really revolves around using different types of data to give your customers a complete picture of their decarbonization roadmap. And from the way you described it, it's also about laying out different scenarios. So tell us, what's the data that's most crucial to creating that roadmap? The first one is really understanding your emissions, right? So building carbon inventories, and this is jargon for carbon footprint. So building your footprint for the first time, you have to understand what is actually generating emissions. So a very basic example is diesel consumption. If you're doing 
an inventory, a carbon inventory for reporting reasons only. So let's say SEC now is demanding a number and you're going to have to report to SEC. So all you need to do for that reporting piece is collect total diesel consumption of your company, multiply by an emissions factors and report that emission to the SEC. But if you actually want to decarbonize, you need to understand where that diesel is actually being consumed. So if it's coming from a car, if it's coming from a blast furnace, or if it's a truck, the technological solutions are going to be completely different. So you need to take a step further in terms of granularity so you can understand exactly where, what kind of data we are talking about. So we're talking about diesel, but it can't be just 100 tons, 100 liters, 100 gallons of diesel. It has to be where exactly and how this diesel is being used so the system can propose specific solutions. And then the mitigation options database. So we have a database with a bunch of solutions for different sectors and regions and locations. We match those solutions with the exact sources of emissions or where we understand the hotspots of the company are and the biggest opportunities that they have for transitioning. And it's not only about the biggest sources of emissions, it's also about CapEx that they have to invest. So if they are going to replace cars, is it what are the solutions? EV is too costly. So maybe it's cheaper to implement an electric furnace rather than investing in EVs. So this kind of analysis is super important for the companies to understand, again, costs for implementing solutions and how much the solutions are actually going to be effective and how much they're going to reduce. These are all scenarios that we allow our customers to model and then ultimately understand marginal abatement costs and understand total abatement potential. And finally, understand carbon prices. This is very advanced. I'm not, I don't, we don't need to get there, but carbon pricing in essence is understanding how much does it cost to reduce one ton of CO2. So they can actually either go to a bank, get a loan or go to the IRA and understand how much money they would need to be investing in those specific solutions. That's in essence how the system works. In practice. It sounds massively complex. <laughs> and uh, there's just so many different pieces, different types of data, different inputs. What was the hardest part of developing the platform and making it work? You answer yourself, modeling complexity. That's definitely by far the hardest thing. You also brought up carbon pricing, and I know it's complex as well, but I'd love to get into it just to understand the importance of it. And I saw that it's one of the outputs of your platform and presumably a really a key factor in the recommendations that you can make for a company is what should their internal price for carbon be? I know from talking to many other companies that that's actually a really important and interesting metric. Tell us in your experience how that's helped companies, why it's important and how you're able to do it. So let me just take one step back to explain a little bit, because I know when we talk about carbon prices, there's confusion, right? People think immediately on the prices of carbon credits or carbon offsets. Those are also carbon prices. There's a bunch of different types of prices. Those are what we call, from a company perspective, external prices. So they are coming from emissions trading systems, right, where companies and governments are trading credits and removals and this kind of thing. Those prices are based on supply and demand. They are very different. They are not related to the company itself or how, how the company allocate budget. Nothing to do with that, right? So it's supply and demand. Then when you think of an internal carbon pricing from a company's perspective, that's why it's called internal, it means defining how much does it cost for the company to invest 
and reduce one ton of CO2. And that investment is going to come from their balance sheets or their cash flows. And they need to understand if it's going to be an upfront investment cost, CapEx, is if it's going to be OPEX, like actual part of their operations, if it's going to be based on NPV or internal rate of returns, or if it's going to be based on payback, break-even carbon price. So it gets a little more financial and it really depends. So there are multiple methods to define carbon prices. The method that we use the most is the shadow pricing. So the prices are defined based either on CapEx, OpEx, NPV, or break-even carbon prices. And then they implement that as a shadow price. So they model financial assumptions as if the solutions or the investments that they are making now have a price on carbon. So they need to understand how much those solutions are actually emitting. So the solutions that are going to emit more that are not renewable, they are just going to have a higher cost. So they shouldn't be investing in those. That's kind of in essence how it works. But yeah, there's more advanced analysis in terms of how to implement carbon prices. Companies can actually get to internal carbon trades where business units actually exchange financials exchange basically budgets and exchange emissions so they basically recreate an emissions trading system inside the organization microsoft is famous to have developed this yale university also developed this it's they have a very cool interesting case this is very advanced okay very few companies are doing it but ultimately this is the single most efficient solution for us to get where we need to be. So this is really part of our job, educate, continue to educate the market to get there. Thank you, Maria. Lauren, let's go back to you. Your firm has invested in Sinai and your background in working on ESG strategies for large corporate clients probably offers you a great perspective on the demand for a product like Sinai. Tell us about the market opportunity you see for their company. We're really excited about the market opportunity for for Sinai in terms of kind of the tailwinds behind corporate decarbonization more broadly. I think kind of where we are in the market right now is that we see a lot of companies have set a target, made a commitment. But if you look at those targets, most companies don't really have a very detailed plan for how they're going to get there. I think if you add up all of the net zero plans of the largest companies that have set one, you only see 36% reduction. So that's not, not, it needs to be a hundred percent. And I think where we are in the trajectory of the market is that people will do the easy things first, the things that are ROI positive right now, but they need to have a longer term view of how things are evolving and how to embed their plans into their day-to-day operations. So Maria is talking about carbon price. How does that actually get embedded into their capital planning processes? If they're evaluating two projects side by side, how do you account for the fact that one might have a much more significant footprint or trajectory going forward? So I think that what we see is the opportunity for a company like Sinai to really play a really pivotal role in being a partner to corporates who want to get serious about their decarbonization plans and need to be able to embed these into their decision-making models and planning processes from a financial perspective, which is really where the rubber hits the road (laughs) from a decarbonization perspective. Great. And from an investor's lens, what do you think are some of the key challenges Maria and her team will face? The challenge with sustainability, I think more broadly, is always to meet people where they are. 
people are in a lot of different places. <laughs> they maybe haven't started the journey. They maybe are incredibly advanced, like some of the examples that Maria was just stating. So I think that the challenge is really to develop a tool that can support a less sophisticated user who is early on in their journey, but also to be able to support the most sophisticated, most complicated, and most advanced users. So I think that that's a really key challenge. And I think that the advantage that Maria has is that their team built the hardest stuff first. (laughs) They built the hardest tools for the hardest to abate, but also are developing tools that even the most simple or least advanced user can also use who is very early in their journey. That has been a challenge, but I think it's one that the team has really focused on in terms of developing their product to meet all the needs of all users. And I think that the other thing is just that the space is evolving really quickly. The things that are ROI positive today will change. The market is changing. The cost profile of sustainable options are changing. And I think that's why it's really important to have dynamic models that can change as the technologies change, as the markets change, and as Sinai's clients change. Great. Thank you, Lauren. Maria, let's hear your take. What do you see as your biggest challenges? I guess today is really educating the market and expertise, finding actual expertise. There's a lot of confusion and a lot of people don't know how to do To Lauren's point, the market is evolving very quickly and it has been evolving even faster the past couple of years, which is great indication of the directions we are going. But but there's still a lot to learn. So I think one good thing of this market growing and evolving so quickly is that hopefully education and expertise is going to be spread out faster as well. But it, but for us, it's definitely the biggest challenge. Well, let's talk about your progress. I saw that you have partnerships with companies like Siemens, Supplied Materials, and one of Japan's largest banks, amongst others. Tell us about your product adoption, how many customers you have, and if you can, walk us through an example of the impact that you're creating for one of them. We've been growing quickly. We have customers across 20 different industries and 60 plus countries. The system is in three languages, Portuguese, English, and Japanese. Those are actually our three biggest markets, Brazil, Japan, and the US, and North America, US slash Canada. We have different case studies back to what Lauren was saying we are now creating a simpler journey for companies who are just getting started so we can take them throughout this entire process because it's a journey it's like they take first steps first and then they have to make those first steps of the calculations more accurate before they actually move on to strategies and scenario analysis because you have to have precise data to get there and with a bunch of estimation methodologies being used and simpler approaches like companies trying to simplify this too much it makes it impossible for companies to get to where they need to be so accuracy is definitely a huge part of it i don't know i'm trying to think of an of a specific example we definitely have examples of how we helped companies to to estimate their first scope three emission so karamuru is one of the biggest food producers in the world they produce actually food products from agricultural products so corn soybeans this kind of stuff 
first, we initially calculated their carbon emissions for their scope three with estimation-based models. So we just estimate what are their emissions for their scope three. But then on a second phase of this project, we're actually going to get into much more precise data calculation and collection so they can now act towards their scope three emissions. So just so you have an idea... The difference that we saw in terms of data accuracy is 900% more accurate if you actually collect data from your suppliers rather than trying to estimate. So if companies are really going on the estimation path, that's totally fine for them to take the first step. But especially if they are buying carbon credits, they are probably paying 900% more than they should. So these are definitely important insights that we are helping our customers to visualize. Yeah, that sounds like a very significant number and a really big impact that you create for your customers. Maria, you recently completed a $22 million Series A funding round. Congratulations. Thank you. What will that capital allow you to do? So many things. Thanks to Lauren and Eileen, who really believed in us in in the team. We are really focused on product development. So trying to understand, yeah, how do we simplify even further? How do we bridge the gap, the knowledge gap, the expertise gap, and help customers, companies to get started earlier? Then how we take steps further? How do we get into more precise results and outputs? How do we help them with analysis and really capital allocation, how do we help those companies to be compliant? So product, absolutely, number one. And then scaling sales, of course, as mentioned, those are the three main markets that we are envisioning. We are actually going after first and yeah, just continue to be well positioned and grab fast market share. And what about longer term? What's your vision for the long-term role that Sinai will play? Since the beginning, so Sinai stands for, it's an acronym, stands for Sustainable Investments with Artificial Intelligence. And the vision has always been to bring in actual artificial intelligence and advanced algorithms to really create an intelligent system. So the decarbonization intelligence doesn't exist just by randomness. It's, it's actually there because it is going to become a very intelligent system. The future is to really create a very smart system that is making recommendations, is using predictive analysis, that is understanding benchmarks and how this is working, what are industry's best practices or what is happening in the world, how policies are going to be impacting companies' pathways, how transitioning to cleaner energy is going to impact the company's pathway. So all of that, instead of have to be continued to be done by people. We are just going to bring intelligent algorithms. So this is really the vision. We are just building the first steps, the foundation, the analytical piece, how this works kind of manually, maybe with some automation, but how do we understand this? How to unpack this complexity a little bit? And then how do we put in intelligent systems to help us to take this road to the next level? Lauren, what about you? What do you see as the longer term and how do you see the role of companies like Sinai? Will decarbonization intelligence platform like theirs be a need for decades to come? And how else do you see the space evolving? It's an interesting day because I spent my day at a sustainability conference for Morningstar. So I was hearing from a number of corporates who are on this exact journey. 
what they kept talking about was the need to manage carbon like you manage your financial data. The reason that people fall back on their spend-based numbers that Maria mentioned, even though we know they're not right from a carbon perspective, is because they know those numbers. There are systems in place and they can trust the financial data because robust systems and governance has been put in place around tracking and managing financial data. And I see the same thing happening for carbon. So people were talking about the soxification of carbon data, which brings back slight like PTSD from my accounting degree and accounting days. But I think having more governance, more controls around how ESG data is managed, including carbon data within an organization, having individuals who are responsible for managing and maintaining that data and working with systems like Sinai. I think more broadly, there's just a need and a demand for quality in this data, for reliable data directly from suppliers, you know, the same way that you would expect financial data. You know, if you have set a net zero target, are you on track? How far off are you every year? Are you achieving those goals? If you buy an offset, did it actually remove a ton of carbon from the atmosphere? So I think more broadly, as this market matures, just expecting it to continue to evolve and respond to the demand for quality and reliability and carbon data and managing sustainability organizations, similarly to how financial data is managed, because in the end, it's inextricably linked. Since you were surrounded by corporates, I should ask, did you land any new customers for Sinai? <laughs> I did make a couple intros, Maria. They're coming your way. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's close out with some tips and advice for anyone working on a decarbonization strategy. Maria, I think you've made a really strong case for Sinai and building decarbonization intelligence into one's efforts. How does a company know if they're the right fit for you? And also, there's probably many companies that are too small to work with you. So I'm curious what tips and advice you can offer for their own decarbonization journey. Yeah, exactly. We don't focus on SMBs. Our really sweet spot is enterprise and mid-market now. We're getting closer to mid-market. We started at the hardest ones, as Lauren mentioned. We don't have yet a solution, even though would love to help every single company in the world because it will be needed for every single company in the world eventually. We don't have yet. That's what we have to focus. So yes, it's more mid-market and enterprise. I guess my tips for them to get started, by the way, we support multiple industries, so kind of almost industry agnostic. So if you know anyone struggling or trying to take the next steps, definitely reach out. And I guess the biggest tip that I would give is know your data and bring it to the core of your organization. So You don't have a completely siloed sustainability team or climate team working and trying to do things without no collaboration from the operations team, from the financial team, or without any top-down buying or on board. That's super important because they will have to make decisions and people are going to have to move away from business as usual. They will have to bring in innovation and bring in new technological roadmaps and also probably open up to work with startups more and more and bringing innovative solutions. So I think those are definitely the cases that we succeed the most and our customers succeed the most. It's when they bring it to their core and they really try to dig in deeper into their data points and into holding themselves accountable on what actually they are doing and how they are reporting and how they are moving forward. 
Thanks, Maria. Lauren, take us home. What about you? Any parting advice for companies working to decarbonize, wrestling with all the different platform options and trying to figure out what's best for their organization and how just to get started? I think that's it. Just get started. My advice to anybody that is struggling, including you know our portfolio companies who are small startups who are trying to make sense of the expectations of them in terms of ESG or carbon reporting, it's always just to start somewhere. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of good is my motto always. Even if you have to start off with the spend base, that's fine. And you can work towards a more detailed model over time. So I think just knowing that the journey to net zero is going to be a long one, getting a handle on your data, it will take time. And there's not necessarily a one size fits all solution for developing your carbon plan. There are a number of solutions in the market. And I think you would need to find one that fits your needs and the journey that you are on for many that are serious about working on decarbonization and specifically in hard to abate sectors. That answer is Sinai. Maria, Lauren, thank you so much for your time today and all the best of luck with the work that you're doing. Thank you for having us, Jason. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Invested in Climate. Please remember to rate us on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Find show notes, sign up for updates, get in touch, and visualize your climate action at investedinclimate.com. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial, accounting, or legal advice. Thanks again.